0: since Adam was exiled from the garden all the way back in Genesis, um, we have been dealing with distance from God ever since. And uh, we're all like the prodigal son who's coming from a far country back to the Father's house and we're a little nervous about how we're going to be received. Isaiah 52 talks about this uh, return to God and it's an encouragement. I've spoken on this before, but the exile of the Jews back in 600 B.C., uh, God uses again and again as an example of of people who have begun to return to God. They they had been deported to Babylon, modern-day Iraq, and there they had languished for 70 years. And now, about 530 B.C., God said the deportation is over. You can return to Jerusalem. You can rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, and restructure the community of faith. And so that's what Isaiah 52 is about, the return from having been exiled from God's temple and God's worship and God's presence. Because remember, in the Old Covenant, that Jerusalem and the temple were, is where God said he would dwell. So when Daniel, who was in exile in Babylon, when he prayed to God, he didn't pray upward, he prayed with the windows of his house open, where? Toward Jerusalem. Because that's where the temple was. That's where God promised he would dwell. So now they're released from Babylon, so they're going back So it's a picture of going to God. And Isaiah knows they're, like the prodigal son, knows that they're a little anxious about it. So he begins this chapter by saying, by comparing the people of God to a beautiful woman. And he says, wake up, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful dress, Shake yourself from the dust, verse 2. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter. In other words, your slavery is over, your bondage is over, your exile is over, your burial is over. Get up out of the dust. And He's really giving encouragements to those people who are trying to make their way to God. And that's what I wanted to speak on this morning. Because we have some baptisms coming up. We have people, and not just those who are being baptized, but we have some people who genuinely are seeking the Lord, trying to take some steps toward God. They're a little nervous about it. And he gives us instructions, he, he, he points out the results of it in uh, verse uh, 8, starting in verse 8. He gives us the command to do it so we know that we're doing the right thing, what he wants us to do in verse 11. And then he gives us a promise attached in verse 12. So let's look at these three things. First, the the results of coming back to God. And here's number one. And and I I know this is not a big deal to most people. But notice in verse 8, the voice of your watchmen. See, (laughs) they're coming back to Jerusalem and on these watchtowers were watchmen. Their job was to oversee oversee, and, and warn of any enemies that might attempt to come. And so as they approach the city from their exile, the watchmen see them coming. And he says, verse 8, the wo- voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. They were very happy. Now, what is a watchman in the New Testament? Would be the pastor. He's, in fact, the, the word uh, pastor or bishop in 1 Timothy 3, it literally means to oversee, to be a watcher. Because the pastor is the overseer and ultimately has to give account for people who are under his instruction, which is kind of scary that I have to give account for some of you. <laughs> I do appreciate uh, some of you will, whenever you're going to be on vacation or you're going to be gone for a couple of weeks, you'll you'll text or call or do something to let us know. Uh, And and that's sweet. It's like a, a a teenager calling their parents at night when they're going to be late getting home. They mom and dad just want to let you know I'm okay. I'm going to be late. And that's sweet. As a pastor, a pastoral gift is a person, he has an antenna, spiritual antenna, and he knows when people are missing. I can almost tell you every Sunday who's missing in both congregations. And, and I worry and I pray That's my job. I'm a watchman. So when I see people coming to God, making their way back, taking steps forward in faith, you know what? Verse 8. The watchmen lift up their voice and sing for joy. It makes me happy. And again, I say, it's not a big deal. I know you're not here to make me happy. It's not your purpose in life. But it's, it, is an, it is a result of you coming to God. Now listen to this verse, and I'll leave, I'll leave this point alone. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch. See, they're watchmen. They're keeping watch over your souls, as those who must give an account. Oh, that's scary. Let them do this with joy and not groaning. (laughs) So I just ask you folks, don't make me groan. Help me to keep account to be a watchman with joy. So here's the first result. When someone returns to God, the pastors are happy. They feel like they're getting something done. Notice again, verse 10, here's another result. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, verse 10, and all the ends of the earth uh, will see. Back up in verse 9. Break forth into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. The Lord has comforted his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. There will be singing, according to verse 9. Break forth into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, in verse 9. So here's a second result, and that is that worship will become joyful, and it'll produce singing. I love to hear y'all sing. It's a good sign of people who are returning to God. Um, You'll find that many religions do not sing. Like Buddhists, for example. They chant. Or like Islam, for example. I visited um, mosques. They don't sing in mosques. I was watching this special one night. Uh, I forget what the point was, but uh, it, had a, it, was, it was made in Saudi Arabia in one of the key cities there, and uh, they had this young woman playing a guitar in a park, and as they filmed her, all of a sudden, uh, Islamic police surrounded her and arrested her and took her guitar. <laughs> I thought, what in the world? It is against the law to be singing. Well, this is not so for the Christian. The Christian church and Judaism in the Old Testament is characterized by song, singing in worship. So when you come back to God, verse 9 says, break forth together into singing. You waste places of Jerusalem for the Lord has comforted his people. We're coming back from the exile. It's wonderful. Let's sing. Here's a third one in verse 10. People will notice it. The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of God. People from everywhere will notice when you begin to make your way back to God. People around you will notice. Where'd he go on Sunday morning? Why does he have to uh, finish up early on Saturday night? I mean, what's going on in his life or hers? You will never return to God without someone noticing it, verse 10. Zechariah 8 describes this exact same thing. The return from exile, Zechariah 8:21. The inhabitants of one city will go to another one, and they will say, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. <laughs> Many people at Zechariah 8:22, and strong nations will come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem. See, when the exile was over they began to filter back and some of them would stop in a city along the way or a village and they'd say, let us go and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. When you go, somebody else will go. When you begin to seek the Lord, somebody will say, I'll go with you if you're going to go. This is often members of our own family. In John one forty, Andrew heard John the Baptist talking about Jesus, <clears throat> and it says, and so Andrew followed Jesus. And then John one forty one says he then found his own brother Simon Peter, and said, "We have found the Messiah." And John one forty two says, and he brought him Andrew brought Peter. To Jesus, Often when you come to Jesus Christ, a brother who may become more fruitful and useful than you are. Andrew kind of fades and Peter takes, he becomes the chief apostle, the first pope. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but think about it. Who is watching you so that if they see you making your way to worship and back to God from your exile, they will say, I will go also. Could be parents, could be children, could be a brother, could be a sister, could be any other family member. But you can almost rest assured... If you make your way back to God when you've been exiled, somebody will follow. And then, so that's the results. The watchmen are happy, the worship is joyful, and others will notice it. Now let's look at the command. This is in verse 11. Depart, depart. There's an urgency there. In other words, Don't tarry on this. This is important. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. See, in Babylon, the Jews had become... uh, There were a lot of idols in Babylon. There was a lot of corruption and defilement. And he's saying, leave all that behind. Get out of there. That's a corrupt, defiled place. And that's the way he wants us to treat the world, like a Babylon. We need to get out of it. We have to do interactions with it. We have to do business in it. We are in it, but we are not of it. And he says, depart from there. Notice that next phrase. Uh, Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Now, who's, who is that? Well... In Ezra 1, he talks about when they left Babylon and were making their way back at about 530 B.C., there were thousands of vessels, gold and silver items, from the tabernacle in the temple that were used in worship. And so many of these people were carrying these items of worship and so he's, he's addressing those who are part of the leadership that felt responsible for the worship and the assembly. And he's saying, depart, depart, get out of there, especially be pure, those who bear the vessels of the Lord who are responsible for its worship. Oh, this spoke to my heart this week. Uh, that I should be pure. It's, This is especially true for all of our band leaders, our worship leaders, our teachers, our ushers, our nursery workers, every one of us who are in spiritual leadership or look to as an example, that we should be pure. Somebody asked me this week, uh, there was a staff member of a church that they knew who they were talking to, and he, he said he went to a strip club and so they asked me what do you think of that what should I say to him I was like really you have to ask should a pastor go to a strip show do we really have to ask that's not even a rhetorical question but this guy was a staff member so, as I settle down, the answer is no, he should not go. He should set an example. In fact, no guy should go. Nobody who professes Christ should go. Let's make that a sweeping statement here this morning. All right. We'll move on. Now to verse 12. Oh, and... Uh, I'll just add, (laughs) they may welcome us, but they are more welcome in the church. We want them to come here and join us. We do not want to go join them. Amen. Noah's boat does not want water in it. It wants water out of it, but the people in it. All right, in verse 12, for you shall not go out in haste. Here's the promise. You shall not go out in haste. You shall not go out in flight. In other words, uh, we'll pause right there and say, he's saying, you don't have to hurry, you don't have to panic, because here's the promise. The Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. He'll be in front of you, he'll be behind you. Now, here's the promise when you start back from exile, you're coming to God, you're trying to renew your faith and hope and love in Christ. You know it's right, but you're fearful. That's a long way. It's 700 miles from Babylon. What's going to happen to me? And what about people I knew in Babylon? Maybe they'll come after me. Maybe you owe them some money. So there's problems ahead and problems behind. But he says, I do not want you to be alarmed and anxious as you seek to return to me. Because I will put a bubble over you. He says, and his promise is twofold. First, verse 12, the Lord will go before you. That is, he will smooth your path. It's Proverbs 3, 6 all over again. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make straight your path. It won't be so rocky and craggy and difficult and crooked, But God will make a smooth path for you. He will make it easier to go toward Him than to stay back where you are. That's what God promises. And I'll give you this illustration of my youth when I was 17 years old. I felt like God was calling me to preach. I had always wanted to be a basketball coach, But I felt like God was calling me to preach. At 17, I surrendered to that call. I had a motorcycle, a 100cc Yamaha, two-barrel. And I know it's not a big deal today, but for a 17-year-old kid in White Pine, Tennessee, that was it. But it was missing. It was sputtering and I was uh, really upset about it and I I had driven it to church that day. When I surrendered to God that day, I had forgotten all about the motorcycle. And I went back out and I got on that motorcycle, 100 cc, two carburetors, does that sound right, two carburetors? And I cranked it up. It ran smoothly from then on. Can that be? It so impressed me that over 50 years later, I still remember it. That when when you surrender to God, He can make your path smooth. He can make your car run longer and better and get better gas mileage. He can go ahead of you. Now I'll give you an, illustra- an illustration a little more recent. We had uh, uh, bath fitters put us in a new bathroom a few years ago, and uh, part of part of it, of course, was the bathtub. And they said uh, now, you have to use certain cleaners, or the bu- a tub will crack and it'll void your warranty. And uh, I said, "Honey, did you get that?" Okay. <laughs> and uh, uh, about. Three or four years later, sure enough, the cracks was running right down the middle of it. And I thought, oh, man, that's going to cost two grand to put a new bathtub in. And I called bath fitters, and I said, hey, it's a lifetime warranty. we got cracks in our bathtub. And they said, well, uh, did you check and see what cleaners you're using? And I said, yeah, scrubbing bubbles. That's right. Can't use scrubbing bubbles. It'll void the warranty. And I thought, you know what? I don't have to tell them that I use scrubbing bubbles, or that Jan uses scrubbing bubbles. I don't have to tell them that I, vi- that I didn't keep the warranty right. If I do, it could cost me two grand. And the first thing the guy asked when he came to look at it is, uh, what's the cleaner you're using? And I said, you know what? I'm not going to sell my conscience for a couple of thousand dollars. And I held up scrubbing bubbles, said, here's the culprit. And he said, yep, that'll, that'll cause them to crack. They came in, put an entire new, a better bathtub, stronger one, bigger one, And walked out and didn't charge me a dime. Bath fitters, yay. And I thought, what happened to the voiding the warranty? I don't know. God took care of it. God took care of it. When you say yes to God, God can change people. He can give people ideas. He He can keep warranties that would... You have just voided. He can make up for lost ground. God can do that. He goes ahead of you. He promises to go ahead of you and make your path smooth when you obey him. So my my point is, keep pursuing God. Don't stop. He'll make your path smooth. He'll make it possible for you. What you're worried about, he'll remove from the path and you'll be amazed because it shouldn't have happened that way. The other part is, he will be your rear guard, verse 12. What's the difference? Well, one's in the front and one's in the back. See, because we have two problems going toward God. What lies ahead and what we've done in the past that can catch up to us and distract and hinder us. He will not only clear out the future, but verse 12 says he'll be your rear guard. That is, he will keep back the ill effects and neutralize them in your past. The ill effects of your past. Perhaps you've had a divorce and you don't know how you're going to uh, pay the child support. Maybe you have a criminal record. And it's going to hinder you with a job. Maybe you have an upcoming court date. See, that's all in the past. Maybe you have a mugshot online. How many many has got a mugshot? (laughs) But God can neutralize the ill effects of past sin. This is a wonderful promise, people. He'll go before you and He'll stay behind you. God can do both. He can protect your future and he can protect you from your past. In Hebrews 11:6, it says, "He who draws near to God must believe two things. You must believe that he exists." Well we get that. And number two, and that he rewards those who seek Him. There's a reward for those who seek Him. So next Sunday morning, baptism. Jesus said in Matthew 28, be baptized. Keep going toward Him. There's a reward for that. There's protection in front and behind for that. So my role this morning I believe, from God is to encourage you and motivate you to keep going and obey Him and don't worry about the perceived consequences. He'll take care of it. Can I get an amen from the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. So baptism next Sunday. We have the baptismal sheets. We'll answer your questions, but you must obey the Lord yourself. Come back from exile. We're here. So is the Lord. Ushers, you get ready. Let's worship with our giving.